Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To the Bruce Exclusive Buffalo Rumblings Podcast, I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this Thursday episode of the Bruce Exclusive. And we have stuff to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. We have football news. Gone are the days where I have to manufacture content to try to justify my existence. In your podcast feed Thursdays and Fridays every week. Gone are those days. Now I will have football generating content for me. Because let's be honest, it's way easier that way. It's way easier to talk about things that actually happened. Rather than things that might happen. Things that have happened way in the past. Things that are happening right now. That's what people want to talk about. And we have some things to talk about. We're going to dive right into them. The first is that this episode of the Bruce Exclusive represents the 500th episode on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. I'll hold for applause. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's not a moment of silence. It was holding for applause. 500 episodes. The Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network has created for your enjoyment. I hope that you have enjoyed partaking in what the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network gives to you as much as I have enjoyed being a part of it. I have gone on record as saying that since I've started doing this, I have received far more grace from Buffalo Rumblings and from the Buffalo media and from other content creators and from the fans than I very likely deserve. And I will always be grateful to them for that. But I hope that you appreciate what we're doing here. I hope you appreciate how hard the Buffalo Rumblings community works to try to provide you with interesting content as often as humanly possible. I am personally grateful to be a part of it. So just a recognition of the 500th episode on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. The next thing we're going to talk about is the most newsworthy item up until some players started opting out, which was the AFC East news 
of the day not too long ago, and that was Jamal Adams' safety for the New York Jets, former number six overall pick out of LSU, traded to the Seattle Seahawks. If you're following me on Twitter, you already know what my thoughts are on the trade. Here are the trade details for those of you who have not been familiarized with that or for people who need a refresher. The Jets will receive safety Bradley McDougald, a 2021 first-round pick, a 2021 third-round pick, and a 2022 first-round pick in exchange for Adams and the 2022 fourth-round pick. So the Seahawks gave up their starting safety, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick in exchange for Adams and a fourth-round pick. That's how that worked. So I mentioned it on Twitter. I'll mention it here. I think the Seahawks got robbed, not because I'm not a Jamal Adams guy. I think Jamal Adams is a good, good player, but two first round picks. Let's assume for a second, let's take the third and the fourth out of the equation. Let's just say it's close enough to a wash. Two first round picks to upgrade your safety position, because it's really important. It's not binary. It's not like you went from, I don't have an all pro to, I have an all pro. That's, it's not that, it's not that easy. It's a gradient. You spent two first-round picks to upgrade your safety position because you shipped out your starting safety. Mind you, you also shipped out a starting safety who I thought played pretty well last year. So it's not like you shift off a bum. You didn't go from bum to all pro using first-round picks, two of them to be specific. You went from pretty decent to all pro status using first-round picks, two of them. I don't think that's going to really matter. I had a long discussion with a gentleman on Twitter who said, it's it's too early. You can't say that. You don't know what the picks were used for. We won't know what this meant for both teams until the team uses them. No, we don't. We don't have to wait until then because it's about what the first round picks represent. So let me ask you this question. If you think, if you're one of those people who says you cannot judge a trade at all, you cannot even assign it a grade until you see what the trade picks were used for. Let me pose you this question. If they traded 14 first-round picks for Jamal Adams, would you still have to wait? What if they traded seven first-round picks for Jamal Adams? Would you still have to wait, or would you be willing to say, no, that's ridiculous? Because if you answered yes to, no, 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 no it, it, it's okay, I, I wouldn't have to wait. I, I could judge it. I mean, that's extreme. Well, then what you're saying is that there is a number, there is a value that you believe to be extreme. What I'm telling you is that value is what they did. That's what I view to be extreme. So you can't come back and say, well, we don't know if it's going to be a win or a loss trade until the trade has been fully, let's say, consummated, fully consummated via a use of those draft picks. I say it doesn't matter what they use the draft picks on because I guarantee you, even if they screw up the draft picks, that they could have picked someone with those picks that would have cumulatively had a more significant impact on winning than Jamal Adams. Again, not because Jamal Adams is a bad player. I like Jamal Adams. I think he's a good player. I think that spending two first-round picks 
to upgrade your safety position and then not even getting the extension done. You just gave Jamal Adams literally all the leverage because now if he walks, the trade looks even worse. I do not understand it from a Seattle standpoint. I'm also very disappointed because if you remember correctly, I loved what Joe Douglas and the Jets did in the 2020 NFL draft. I was a big fan. I don't want them to have more picks. I want them to have less picks. I want them to have as few picks as humanly possible. Now, granted, they do have Adam Gase, which is a great talent equalizer. But I think the Seahawks got robbed. That's my opinion on it. Moving along. Josh Allen was in the top 100 NFL players voted on by the players. Revealed on NFL Network. And there's been kind of a a hoopla about it. Because, you know, being in the 80s, okay, he got some recognition. And I, I tweeted out a picture of Blake Bortles being 56th. With the caption and the quote tweet saying, sometimes NFL players make mistakes. And some people got got a little upset. They thought maybe that was a shot at Josh Allen. It's not. But it's important to note that this doesn't mean anything about talent, but it does mean something. So I reject the narrative that the top 100 means nothing. I also reject the narrative that the top 100 is a measure or a good measure of talent. Well, you know, the NFL players know. Who knows better than them? Uh, I would argue the NFL players are not necessarily the best qualified to evaluate that. I would absolutely argue that NFL players are not the most qualified people to make the list. Well, Bruce, how could you possibly say that? They play against them. Look at the rankings. Look at David Bakhtiari. Lower on the rankings, as in a worse player, than Todd Gurley. Look at Blake Bortles at 56 overall. It's a popularity contest, but it's just a popularity contest done by different people than the Pro Bowl. We, we dismiss the Pro Bowl and say, ah, it's a popularity contest, doesn't matter. And then we clasp a hold and grab a hold of the NFL Top 100. Do you know what I think it does matter, though? I don't think it measures talent. I think it measures perception. And I think that's valuable. I think it's valuable information to know what the NFL thinks of Josh Allen. I think it's very important that we understand how these lists come to be manifested. And specifically, how it is that the top 100 is voting upon. So here's the way it happens. NFL players are sent out these ballots right around the time, right around Thanksgiving. Because it's right at the same time as Pro Bowl balloting. So they want them to do it together so that as much of it can be done as humanly possible. Each player lists only his top 20 players in the league. The number one player gets 20 points. The number two player gets 19 points and so on and so forth until the number 20 player on the list gets one point. So what this means is that there were a few people who play in the NFL who did this, who think Josh Allen is a top 20 player in this league. That's what we know from this. We don't know how high exactly. And we also don't know how many total players voted. So if more Bills voted than other teams, then that could skew 
the rankings in favor of Josh Allen. But here's what I do know. Carson Wentz wasn't on the list. I'm not sure that anyone in their right mind thinks Josh Allen is better right now than Carson Wentz. However, the fact that he wasn't on there is interesting to me. Because if you will remember correctly, Carson Wentz had a specific article come out about him in the Philadelphia Voice by a Philly Voice contributor named Joseph Santoliquito. And he wrote specifically that there were unnamed Eagles sources who thought that Carson Wentz was, quote, selfish, uncompromising, playing favorites. Specifically, they said he had his ass kissed his whole life. Egotistical. I think that's interesting. I think it's very interesting that Carson Wentz wasn't on it. So yes, it tells you a little bit about perception. And the only perception that really matters about Josh Allen is the perception inside the locker room. Specifically, the perception that is so bad that it might inhibit his ability to lead. So again, we talked about this about wins not being a quarterback stat. You don't have to be a great winner to lead a locker room. You just have to be good. However, if your leadership is so bad that it actually inhibits your ability to lead that team, if people are actually devaluing you because of how much they hate you in that locker room, then it matters. It's one of those just don't screw it up kind of things. Being a great leader is good. I think it matters. I personally think this is partially indicative of that. Now, we don't know how many bills voted, but specifically when I look at Josh Allen and I look at Carson Wentz, I don't think for a second that Josh Allen's better than Carson Wentz at this point. However, I find it very interesting that Allen's on the list and Carson Wentz isn't. Also, if you remember correctly, Carson Wentz was number three in 2018. He was number 96 in 2019, and now he's off the list. Maybe the more you get to know Carson Wentz, the less you like him? I don't know. I'm not in that locker room. But I think it's interesting when you put the juxtaposition of Carson Wentz and Josh Allen. Not because I think this list is a good measure of talent, because I don't. However, I do think it's a good measure of perception. Now, I don't know what the sample size is, and I don't know how much that sample size is the Bills, so I don't think it's super useful. It's just an interesting note. That's it. That is the only thing I find valuable, aside from just fun conversation, about this top 100 list. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. And we are going to dive into a positive Josh Allen conversation because I'm going to start with a conclusion. I like to do that. You'll notice that. I start with a conclusion and then I Tarantino it. I jump back to the beginning, show you the prologue. The conclusion is Josh Allen isn't Blake Bortles. Stop comparing him to Blake Bortles. Maybe you don't stop comparing them, but at least stop equating them. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Stick with me. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. All right, folks, I'm going to get on my boxing gloves. I'm going to defend Josh Allen's honor against the lazy take. And the lazy take is that Josh Allen is just Blake Bortles 2.0. So I'm going to do this through a structure. And I'm going to use the same structure for my conversation tomorrow about Josh Allen 
and a comparison to Mitchell Trubisky. And the structure I'm going to use has three parts. We are going to compare the scouting reports. We're going to compare the situations. And we're going to evaluate why Blake Bortles and tomorrow, why Mitchell Trubisky has struggled thus far. We're going to take these things and we're going to line them up with how these things equate to Josh Allen thus far. And we're going to see. And just spoiler alert, it's not going to line up super well. Let's start with Blake Bortles. First off, Blake Bortles was a three-star recruit. His scouting report coming out of college was he was big, athletic, physical. He had intangibles. And his accuracy was bad due to mechanics. Well, that sounds a lot like Josh Allen, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. On a very, very basic level. From a scouting report, high overview, it sounds a lot like Josh Allen, aside from the three-star thing. But here was the situation at UCF. That UCF team was built upon their defense and Storm Johnson at running back. Their wide receivers were Rennell Hall, Brashad Perryman, J.J. Wharton, and Jeff Godfrey. They had good receivers. They were a running-focused team that played good defense and threw a ton of screen passes. That was not the Blake Bortles show at UCF. Blake Bortles was a trait projection, yes. And Josh Allen was a trait projection, yes, on his scouting report. But the things they did in college aren't even close to being the same. Josh Allen is widely considered one of the greatest players in Wyoming history. Blake Bortles isn't even the best quarterback in UCF history. I don't know if you know or not, there was this dude named Dante Culpepper. He was pretty good. Josh Allen was the entire Wyoming program. He ran the ball. He threw it down the field. He had pro-style concepts. He was throwing vertical routes. He had basically no help. That is not the scenario that Blake Bortles came out of. Yes, okay, on the surface, you look at it and you go, okay, big athletic, physical, they got intangibles and they have accuracy problems. Great. But that's not all there is to it. So far, that's the only thing they've got in common is, well, they look they look similar, I guess. But their situations at UCF, what they were asked to do and why they had success were vastly, vastly different. Now let's take a look at the situations for each one of the quarterbacks coming into the NFL. So when Blake Bortles came in to the NFL, Jed Fish was his offensive coordinator. Jed Fish was an assistant to the head coach, assistant to the regional manager, for the NFL's Houston Texans. And then he moved to the Ravens under Brian Billick. And he was an assistant quarterbacks coach and assistant wide receivers coach. Then he went to Mike Shanahan in Denver in 2008 and was a wide receivers coach. Then he went back to college and was offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Minnesota. Then he came back to the NFL as a quarterbacks coach in Seattle during Pete Carroll's first year. Then back to college where he was an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Miami Hurricanes. Al Golden was the head coach at that point. Fish then returned to the NFL. He was the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. He had a lot of experience 
coaching quarterbacks and coaching offense. Bortles quarterback coach when he came into the league was Frank Skelfo. Frank, ironically enough, small world, coached J.P. Lossman at Tulane University, along with Sean King, Patrick Ramsey. These were NFL players, people who got drafted high, had NFL careers. And then he went and became the quarterback's coach for the Jaguars after spending some time at Louisiana Tech as an OC and quarterback's coach and Arizona as a quarterback's coach. So again, experience, doing what he was doing. After Jed Fish got canned, Greg Olson became the offensive coordinator, experienced. Nate Hackett became the NFL offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. Again, experienced. He already had the time with Buffalo. He had the time with Syracuse before that. And he had experience with Doug Marone. I don't know if you know this, but Josh Allen came into the NFL and had a quarterback's coach who hadn't coached it since 1990. He was a glorified wide receivers coach, David Culley. That's who Josh Allen was. In addition, he comes into the league. Congratulations, Josh Allen. You have Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron in your room, both of whom are trying to take your job. That was what Josh Allen got set up with. Okie dokie. So that's not awesome. Then he came in week three, Blake Bortles did, for an ineffectual Chad Henney and rolled. So here's what they have in common so far in the situation. The situation was they both came in early when they probably should have came in later. So we have two similarities. We have the overarching scouting report, which was big athletic, physical, intangibles, accuracy due to mechanical problems. And then we have a subsection of the situation, which is similar which is they came in probably a lot earlier than they probably should have. I'll never forget a Sports Illustrated scouting report for Blake Bortles said if he starts early, he'll probably be a turnover machine. Ironically enough, that ended up being very, very, very true. Because he probably started before he was ready. But guess what? So did Josh Allen. Neither one of them got the luxury of sitting behind a reasonably competent quarterback. For Josh Allen, it was Nathan Peterman. Chad Henney's way better than Nathan Peterman. Josh Allen got one half to sit on the bench. Blake Bortles got a little over two games. Now let's move on to the next part. So we've talked about the scouting report. We've talked about the situation. Let's talk about why Blake Bortles busted out. Shockingly enough, Sports Illustrated was right. He was a turnover machine. He consistently showed the ability to make plays with his legs big, strong quarterback. Go back and watch some of 2015 Blake Bortles, if you will. I'll never forget one of my favorite statistics. I put it on Twitter was there was a game where the Jaguars dropped a 50 burger on the Indianapolis Colts. Blake Bortles threw for three touchdowns, ran for another one and had an QBR of 3.8. A historically bad QBR. People are like, how is that possible? Go watch that game. If ever there was an example of wide receivers making your quarterback look better, it was that game. Allen Robinson, first off, is one of the greatest receivers in the NFL, and he's been shackled with terrible quarterback play his entire career. Allen Robinson is a stud. Allen Hearns was at the peak of his powers at that point. 
And essentially, that YOLO Josh that occasionally got away with it, that was Blake Bortles' entire career. And sometimes he got away with it, and sometimes he didn't. He was a turnover machine. He couldn't throw the ball accurately. He didn't have great velocity on it. And he consistently made bad decisions. And that's the reason why he failed. He has 75 interceptions in 75 games. Blake Bortles does. That's not great, Bob. You don't want to have that as an NFL quarterback. But he did. Josh Allen has already shown that if he fails, that will not be the reason why. And that brings this all back around. Josh Allen is not Blake Bortles. Here's what we've established that they have in common. The overarching scouting report was similar. Big, athletic, physical, has intangibles, have accuracy problems due to mechanics. Great. Also, their situations had a little sub-nuance that was similar, which is they both came in earlier than they probably should have. That's it. Those are the only things that Josh Allen and Blake Bortles have in common. That's it. Josh Allen doesn't turn over the ball as much as Blake Bortles did. Josh Allen had a completely separate situation in college. Josh Allen had a completely different situation when he came into the NFL. Josh Allen was a zero-star recruit. Josh Allen has already shown to be less of an interception thrower. All of this when having walked into the NFL with David Culley as his quarterback's coach. I'm not saying Josh Allen is great. I'm not saying he ever will be great. I'm not saying he won't bust out. I'm saying if he does bust out, it won't be because he was Blake Bortles 2.0. It'll be a completely separate path because he's on a completely separate path. And if you dig even slightly into the situations of Blake Bortles and Josh Allen, you'll realize it's not the same. They see big athletic quarterback with accuracy issues and they stop right there and they go, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Very important caveat. I had Josh Allen as a late day two, early day three prospect and I compared him to John Skelton when he came out. Very, very important caveat. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to defend some pre-draft evaluation I had on Josh Allen. Josh Allen has already proven me that he's not John Skelton. He's better than that. Now, I also said he wasn't going to be a long-term franchise quarterback at the time. We don't know yet. But he's already proven to be better than I thought he was. And he's already better than Blake Bortles. Don't show me the stat line from 15. Do not do that. Don't show me the stat line from 2015 and go, well, you know, Blake Bortles threw for 4,000 yards. Did you watch Blake Bortles? That year? The 2015 Blake Bortles season will be known forever as being a season that is used by data scientists to explain garbage time and wide receivers making up for a bad quarterback. It will go down in the annals of history. Scientists will study this for years. It's like an asteroid hitting the earth. And being taken back to a museum and you're just fascinated by it for the next 60 years as we study it. That's what 2015 Blake Bortles was. So, I'm not saying Josh Allen's great. I'm not saying he's ever going to be great. I'm saying he's not Blake Bortles. And if he fails, it won't be because he was Blake Bortles. 
If he succeeds, it still won't be because he was Blake Bortles. The only things they have in common are they both came in earlier than they should have, and their basic scouting report at a very high level looks similar. That's it. Everything else is different. All right. I don't think that was necessarily the most eloquent I've ever been on this podcast. Got a little bit heated. Tomorrow, we're going to have a discussion about Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky, and we're going to start on our Know Thy Enemy discussion. And we're going to start it off with your almighty takes. We're going to take a break from almighty takes next week because I need to get through this stuff before we jump on the next one. We got kind of delayed, but stay tuned for tomorrow. We're going to have that discussion. We're going to go through almighty takes. We're going to do Mitchell Trubisky, Josh Allen comparisons. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. (laughs) 